last episode of Educate Ebony, the prog edition. I think it's been a great run so far. I've loved chatting to every single one of my guests, including this last episode that you're about to listen to. And I've listened to a lot of awesome albums, some which have been faves and some which haven't been, but it's all a learning experience, which is really, really cool. Now, if you did tune in last episode, I spoke to James Monteith from Tesseract. Really great chat. What a cool guy. But he told me to listen to an album that was quite close to his heart, and that's by Dream Theatre. It's called Images and Words. But he said to get some friends together, drink some wine, listen to the album. That's exactly what I did. You can head to my socials and check out my listening notes at Educate Ebony, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Yeah, it was honestly a surprising album. I don't think I expected what I heard, you know? I think the dream theater that I know uh, was a little bit later. It wasn't in the 90s, I guess. It must have been a bit, maybe 2000s, I think, where they were a bit heavier and mainly just the heavier. But this was super interesting. Like there's the sax solo as well. And there's just like beautiful sections. Like this entire album is just incredible. Metropolis part one, stunning. Literally, um, the friends that I had over, one of them was like, is this dream theater? And I'm like, yes, it literally is. He's like, huh. And it was just, yeah, we just kept hearing things being like, oh my God, what, what the heck is this? What's going on here? Yeah. So if you haven't listened to Images and Words by Dream Theater, definitely go check it out. And thank you so much to James for being a guest. And that brings us to our last episode. I was stoked to get this interview. Big thanks to Chris Marrick from Marrick Media, who helped me set this one up. Thank goodness. And yeah. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. For this episode of Educate Ebony, the prog edition, I'd love to introduce Tim Henson and Scott LePage. They are two of the genius members of Polyphia, the instrumental progressive band we all know and admire. And their fourth studio album, Remember That You Will Die, has just been released on the 28th of October. We finally have it. We're super excited to hear more about it. Guys, welcome to the podcast. It's lovely to have you. Yeah, thank you for having us. We're very excited. Yeah, thank you. Congratulations on the release of your album. Four years in the making. It's incredible. How do you guys feel about it? Thank you. Uh, very emotional. I'm so glad that people get to hear this record because for the past, past four years, it's just been us. So getting to for everyone else to hear it is just cool. No, definitely. I have listened to it and I love the opening track, Genesis, which features brass tracks. I think there's something really cool about jazz I think I'm just discovering that I really, really like jazz. And quite a few of your tracks have feature artists. Was there anyone that you were like super excited to work with? Pretty much all of them. <laughs> we're we're everybody that's on the album. So somebody asked me earlier, like, have you listened to this album a lot? And I was like, well, yeah, you know, because there's so many features. It's like, and we're fans of all of them, that it's like listening to their music with our music. You know what I mean? So it's it's a cool thing. I don't really know a lot about Steve Vai, but I know that everyone was going on about, oh my gosh, have you heard it? It's incredible. I can't believe they got him on the album. Was he like someone that you were like a little bit fanboying about to work with? Yeah, very much so. I remember my dad showed me when I was 10 years old, Crossroads, the movie. And Steve Vai has a crazy section in that like movie. It's like the climax of the film. And it just, that was around the time the School of Rock came out and both of those movies were like very influential on me as a young guitar player. So yeah. And then discovering the rest of his music and then just, he's so revered in the guitar world. He's a legend. So getting to work with him was really a dream come true. 
Yeah. What about you, Scott? Did you have anyone in particular you were stoked to work with as well? Um, well, obviously, Steve, I, yeah, of course. I, I just want to put that in there. Uh, everyone, every one of us was very stoked, especially my dad. Really? When I told him, usually, usually when I, yeah, it was, it was funny because when I tell him, uh, you know, I always kind of give him like an update, like, yeah, we're working with this guy, we're working with this person on something, and we're going to do a song and, you know, check it. Here's the song, you, you know, I'll have like a little clip or something to show him of like what we got. He's usually like, oh, cool. Yeah, this, this is great. But when I told him that Steve Vai agreed to do something with us, he was like, really? <laughs> so I, <laughs> that was kind of a funny reaction. I, I almost like jumped up out of my seat because like the reaction was shocking to me. But uh, yeah, other than Steve Vai, I, I was really excited to work with Chino just because we uh, that was one of the sessions that uh, we weren't really sure was gonna happen like with us like in the booth with him but we sent him an email and he was like yeah let's do it so uh that was really cool and he just kind of knocked it out of the park like really quickly and uh yeah that one was just fun to do oh that's so cool to hear i think surely like a lot of time and i know you've had four years as well but a lot of time must go into like each track and like developing all of the sounds that happen in there so for people who like aspire to be, I guess, playing at your level and developing songs like that. How many hours go into making a song like Neurotica? Oh, that's a good question. Because they all kind of, uh, all of our songs, like I guess the way we write, they kind of go into multiple phases. So we always have like three, four, five versions of a song before it's, you know, ends up the way everyone hears it on the record. And it's always kind of weird. Uh, for me personally, anyway, because uh, sometimes I'll just like, ha you know, I'll just keep the demo-itis version in my head all the time. And then, you know, I'll go and listen to the album version and be like, oh, we did change that, didn't we? So <laughs> sometimes I'm like, oh, man, we got to, I can't believe we didn't put that part in or like, oh, I forgot we left that out or things like that. Or like, oh, yeah, cool. we I forgot we added that. So I guess uh, how many hours does that take? Uh, it's more of like a, it changes over like the span of months or weeks, I guess. Well, it, it came across like two, two weeks. It was about finished in two weeks. And then, but that was like, you know, not consecutive two weeks. So like, if you were to put the hours together, I'd say it's probably around 20. That's pretty good. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, I did see, um, obviously the music video is, is incredible for that track as well and you worked with Newsy Cuero if I'm saying that right and he designed like face marks and armor for your instruments how did that come about like he's a really cool artist did you guys just reach out and you were like I love your work yeah um it was kind of a Hail Mary where like you know I had put together like a mood board of all the different artists that I wanted to work with and put it like in a note and shared it with everyone and um you know kind of expected our label to do most of the hitting up and uh i don't know maybe i got antsy one night and just like twitter dm'd him a novel <laughs> uh, like the idea of uh you know making armor for the guitars and and face masks for us because you know most of his clientele are like pop stars and and the like you know so like it's all like very feminine like almost like lingerie armor you know pieces of of art that he makes and uh so you know i i didn't think he'd 
even really answer, but he did. And he loved the idea. And uh, we got on the phone and he said, you know, why don't you come over to my place? And like, I was like, cool. Well, I'll be in LA next week. How's Thursday sound? And he was like, yeah, let's do it. So I went over to his place and we really hit it off and uh, kind of like on a very like artist, almost like spiritual level, like, you know, found a lot of things like in common. And uh, I think that's what really made the collaboration work, you know, because, um, yeah, just a lot of the same like values and ideas about art, you know, so it, it was a really nice thing. That's awesome to hear. And is there one aspect of Remember That You Would Die that both of you are really proud of? Like if you could pick one thing, you're like, I'm really happy with that. I'm really happy we got this to work. The whole thing. <laughs> I'm so, <laughs> I mean, I guess the Steve feature, you know. Like that, that was, uh, we weren't sure if we were going to be able to make it work and we did. And, you know, like it, it, it happened. It's like some bucket list shit, but yeah. Anything from you, Scott? Yeah, I guess, uh, well, it's kind of interesting because before we released playing God, the first single, which is the first like really new thing that we've done since, you know, look, but don't touch in 2019, which I don't know if we should really count that because that was kind of a, an experiment song that we needed to all, you know, there's also some right before tour, but not to get too far off uh, track. When we had playing God, we were like, you know what? Maybe I'm Tim and I were hanging out one day and we we're like, maybe we do a different song. So we kind of thought about it and we did, we were, we kind of like decided, okay, yeah, we're going to do this other song and uh, have that be the first single. And kind of changed our minds again because uh that song kind of something happened and it got leaked on like a some website so we were like okay well let's do the other song now because uh we didn't get to release that one the way we wanted to and you know it's kind of we didn't really care about it anymore because it bummed us out but I think actually doing, you know, playing God as it is now was the right choice just because I don't know. It's it's hard to look at how much people care about that song and think we should have done a different one. You know what I mean? Like, it just feels like uh, that was, you know, all the things that happened, like with the leak and everything. It was almost like. Uh, fate. Yeah, it was like fate, like playing God was destined to be the first single. I guess. So I guess uh, not to get too spiritual <laughs> on you there, but that, I guess, I'm really happy that worked out the way it did. Everything's just worked out. It's all happened for a reason. That's amazing. That's right. <laughs> well, I am excited <laughs> to hear what your favorite or your most influential prog albums are, but what is the one prog album I need to hear? Okay, right. let's see. I, I got to pull up you my can take Apple Music. <laughs> <laughs> Apple Music, you're not with Spotify? Wow, can't believe this. I'm an Apple Musicer. Oh, I don't know how we're going to go on this podcast with an Apple Musicer, but no. <laughs> I know, my girlfriend does Spotify and I do Apple Music, so there's a, there's a there's always a clash between. We're like, you know, we're mortal enemies now. Oh, no. <laughs> I guess, you know what? It's not really a, a prog album. Uh, I don't really like to consider this a prog album, I guess, but Mashuga. Catch 33 by Meshuga. That's probably their most, I guess, progressive album because it's one of those albums where it's like 
you know, for 45 minutes, it's just one long nonstop thing. You know, it's not like 10 songs on an album. It's like it's 13 songs that just go for like 45 minutes or something like that. Start to finish, that is probably my favorite piece of music that has ever been created. And uh, my dad showed it to me. And geez, it's just, uh, I don't know. If, if you haven't heard it, I don't know if uh, if you like Meshuggah or anything, but it's definitely worth a check out just to hear like the sounds they make, you know, cause Meshuggah they'll have on this album, they have like a, a 10 minute, there's like a, a 13 minute long song and 10 of those minutes are just them making like stalactite dripping water and like a dark catacomb cave type of sounds. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know if that explains it. <laughs> You'll hear what I'm talking about, though, if you check it out. But yeah, yeah they'll just do that. And it's cool. And I, I think it's definitely the best thing ever created. Oh, my gosh. That sounds insane. Tim, do you have one? Uh, I think my two favorite prog albums would be like P2 by Periphery and Language by Contortionist. Both of those records are like over 10 years old, I think, or almost 10 years old. And, you know, that's because I don't really listen to much prog these days but um back then I did heavily and those were like the last two that I really remember like loving so why don't you listen to prog much anymore it's more metal or it's more uh everything else you know I just I prefer music outside of the genre these days um just to you know I guess bring in fresh influences to to what I'm creating you know yeah definitely it would be, I mean, I guess when you hear a good album though as well, it does sort of stick with you for a long time, like you've said that these albums have as well. Is there an aspect, aside from the stalactites and all the cool things that you said, Scott, as well, <laughs> but is there an aspect of those two albums that you really love that you're like, oh, I always loved how Periphery did this or something like that? Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, I always really, with Periphery particularly, I really love how they always have a nice crisp great just like really good mix you know like it sounds it's sonically nice to listen to you know I, I feel like sometimes that's hard to come by like something that you really hear and you're like wow i will listen to this on my really nice speakers because it deserves it you know um i guess i kind of i'm biased because i totally do that with everything <laughs> anyway yeah and that's another reason i guess why i I kind of like, I guess, hip-hop and rap so much is because a lot of the time, the mix is very open. You know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of space there, you know, like in metal or something like that. It's, uh, you know, the guitars and the drums and the bass and those, everything just kind of takes a lot of, it needs a lot of room in the mix. So when you have like hip-hop, it's just like a, you know, a sub and a beat and then like, you know, maybe like a little atmospheric thing in the background and then and then the singer or the rapper, you can kind of really focus a lot on everything going on and really, really hear it. Um, so periphery, they always kind of uh I don't know, they just have really great mixes. You can hear everything that's going on, even with like the distorted guitars and like the metal drums and all that good stuff. Cool. Well, I know you guys have to um, 
we have to wrap it up in a couple minutes, but I will ask one last question. For this podcast, I do listen to the albums and I make sure that I do listen to them in full all the way through, but I always ask for listening notes. So how would you recommend that I listen to it? Is this a long walk kind of album? Is this a glass of wine album? How would you recommend listening? I, I think there's two peak ways to listen to it. Number one, if you have a set of nice speakers in your home, get high as fuck and sit down and listen to it. Cool. <laughs> Number two, go on a nice drive. Not one where you're like, not like a one where you're like stuck in traffic and shit, but like maybe like a night drive uh, where you can just enjoy driving whilst listening. Awesome. <laughs> Both great. Honestly, I was going to say the same thing. Uh, get high and then <laughs> go on a drive. Like I always do the car test. You got to do the car test. You know, if it sounds good in the car, it sounds good anywhere. But uh, AirPods are nice, too. If you got AirPods, those are I've been kind of listening to them, to the album on those a little bit. And uh, those are pretty good for the job. Oh, my goodness. I think this is going to be a fun time for me. I'm going to say that, but I think it's going to be great. Can't wait for you to hear. Yeah, that's three different ways you got to listen to the record. Meshuggah, Periphery, and The Contortionist. Yeah, there you go. I've never been given this much homework before, but you know what? I will achieve it. Uh, well, guys, thank you so much for your time today. Congrats on the release of your album. Can't wait to see you when you come to Australia one day. That'd be amazing. But yeah, enjoy the celebrations. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. We really appreciate you having us. How good was that? Yep. Still can't believe I got that interview. Very, very stoked. But yes, we'll wrap this up really quickly because I don't want to drag on for too long. I did listen to three albums. That's the most, the most homework anyone's ever given me before. But you know what? I fit it into my schedule because that's what I do. We had Catch 33 by Meshuggah. We had P2 by Periphery. And we had Language by The Contortionist. Now, Language by The Contortionist, probably not my fave. It was a bit slow, I think. Um, didn't really catch my attention too much, but I think, you know, that was only on the first listen, so I'd probably like to give that another go. We had P2 by Periphery, and that was a lot more interesting, a lot more interesting. I think his vocals are amazing. He sounds so, so good. But I think the one thing I did notice was that I kind of thought that every song sounded a bit similar, but I think that's just to my untrained ear and, and not having listened enough to really... I guess, distinguish each song from each other because, you know, you listen to it as one. It all sort of blends together at the start sometimes, but I would definitely give that a go. But I like that more than the Contortionist album. And then Meshuggah as well, Catch 33. That was good. I like that a lot. I think I just really like in some instances where it is, they are like harsh vocals with very technical music. I don't know why, but sometimes I think that sounds great. And in this case, Meshuggah and Catch 33, mm, yeah. I like that. I will be listening again for sure. Um, now, just quickly to wrap up, thank you so much for listening. If you've been with me the entire season and even the previous season, you're amazing. Keep coming back because I'm sure I'll be doing more stuff in the future. Um, if you have just tuned in, nice. Go check out my other interviews. They're also good. Other albums. Listen along. It's a great time. And just quickly to everyone who's helped me organize this, Janine from Dallas Does PR, Chris Marrick, Marrick Media, um, my lovely boss Brownie at Wall of Sound and many others thank you so much i could not do this without you guys so until next season see you later